But so close to finishing. I know, I know. Like, literally, in the next 24 hours from now, you will have seen all of Kripke era. Wild. How does that feel? Insane to me. <laughs> you know what's even more insane to me? It's taken us two years to finish the first five seasons mm-hmm. of Supernatural, and we're literally, like, going to finish all five seasons of Leverage. Like, the, the total five seasons yeah. of Leverage <laughs> within, like, a year. Supernatural is such a monolith. It's not even just that it is 15 seasons. It's 15 seasons of almost every season being more than 20 episodes and 40-minute episodes at that. It's not a short show. There's a lot of viewing. That's one of the reasons why, like, obviously, you know some of the reasons why I'd never watched it because it never interested (laughs) me and I'd heard that it was bad. But, like, also some of it was, like, you were, like, watch this show. I'm, like, it's, like, 400 episodes. Yeah. It's, like, 300 and something. I'm, like, I'm... No fucking thanks. But it's also, like, to fully appreciate it, you do have to also engage with the, like, surrounding mm. lore, which is so much more. I literally cannot wait to start talking about the internet seasons with you because they're so fucking funny. I have a whole PowerPoint. I'm very excited. Anyway. <laughs> so once we've finished the 15 seasons, we're doing episodes on the internet. Yes. Seasons, yeah. Yes. Anyway. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Jamie. Welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast. Where I pick the podcast. And I shut my cake hole. And today, our audio might sound a little different. And that is because after two years, we were finally not recording on my bedroom floor. Holy dooly. <laughs> it's a location change. It's a location change. We were finally in Jamie's new house, which has been a long time coming. It's very cool. It's, it's a very house. Exciting. And it's only half furnished. So if the echo is bad, that's why. Apologies. <laughs> So anyway, that fun announcement out of the way. Today, we are here to discuss the 21st episode of Season 5 of Supernatural titled Two Minutes to Midnight. Jamie, what did you think? Okay, top of the episode. Mm -hmm. The goo really be gooing this week. I know. It looks exactly like, you know, when you're in like primary school and you Mm -hmm. make slime and it's like a cornstarch water slurry Mm -hmm. and then you just put like an immense amount of green food Mm coloring in it. Yeah, the goo, it's gooing. That's exactly, I have to assume, what they used. Like, it looks exactly the same. And it's that weird consistency of, is it like a, is it Newtonian fluid, they call it? Yeah. Yeah. Non-Newtonian fluid. Yes, that's the one. Yes. Mm. Like, it's so weird. <laughs> Loopy. Loopy, yes. <laughs> I also love that this week it was directed by Phil Scrooge. Scrooge? Yeah. Yeah. What I'm realising with this show is you can tell when it's directed by a director who did a lot of the early seasons mm-hmm. because it you it felt like an early seasons episode. Yes. There was a lot of shaky cam, uh-huh. a lot of movement in the camera work, and very fucking dark. Oh, yes. For large chunks of the episode. Just incredibly dark. Like, I feel like I'm going back to season one. I was like, mm, yeah, no, this camera direction. Yeah. Do you know what's also really funny? There was a scene where it was like a close-up on Bobby and I was like, you can't actually see the top half of his face because he's, it's so shadowed. Mm-hmm. You can only see from his nose down and then the cap fully shades the mm-hmm. top half of his face. And I'm like, I understand that it's like, you know, a constant piece of his apparel, but couldn't you have tilted it just a little? Couldn't we have seen his eyes? Like, Jim Beaver is, like, acting his little heart out, and we can only see half his fucking face. Props to him, because he really made do with a... With, <laughs> with only half of his assets yeah. available? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe first things first, talking on the goo. Pestilence as a horseman. Mm-hmm. Thoughts, feelings. I think it was very underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. It was like, they were like, okay, the overarching plot of the season, we're going to set up the four horsemen. We're going to make it, you know, the way that you 
lock Lucifer back up, yeah. the way you get back to Lucy. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, okay, so we've, we've done two. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, fuck, it's the last two episodes. We've... <laughs> we haven't introduced the other ones. We've got two left to do. So, but like the first 20 episodes of the season, you get two horsemen. That's like one per 10 episodes. <laughs> Incredibly spaced out. And then they were like, oh, fuck. <laughs> it's so funny. And like they set up this premise mm-hmm. so early on. Like Lucifer Rose death episodes ago and we only get him in this episode and here's the thing i really don't think pestilence is that interesting it's really weird because they kind of set him up as like the hardest to kill of them because like you know they have the entire scene this week where they're like trying to get through the hospital Uh and like they're fucking dying Mm because he's like "Mm, yeah i'm just gonna give you another std which (laughs) i know what is it with these people and giving Sam sexually transmitted diseases? Like, what? You're thinking, oh, yeah, no, this dude's going to be way harder to kill than, like, war and famine. Mm-hmm. And then Castiel's just like, oh, dead. Yeah. Although, to be fair, I do think it's low-key iconic because I do love Cass this episode, who is functioning as essentially human. Mm-hmm. Important to point out, this is a Sarah Gamble episode. Mm-hmm. The Sarah Gamble Long Con. <laughs> Sarah is Gamble Long Con. She was like, I don't like this angel in particular. I'm going to take away his angel powers. Castiel is not representative of what I want angels to be. It's like that Spider's George meme. <laughs> it's like Castiel is an outlier and should not have been counted. I love it though because every other writer is like, mm, yeah, we love this funky little dude. We love the fact that he's an angel. We're going to make him a bath. Yeah. And then Sarah Gamble was like, mm, I hate him. No. <laughs> I worked so fucking hard to get angels on this goddamn show. And this is the thanks I get. <laughs> this is the fucking angel I get to work with. Because he is, at this point, the angel that we have seen the most of. Oh, yeah. He is now well and truly surpassed any other candidate for that role. Like, you know, maybe Zaki Boy was in there with a bit of a chance. Maybe Uriel early on was mm-hmm. in with a bit of a chance. Anna. Maybe Anna was in with a bit of a chance. Maybe even Gabe. And, like, Castiel has just fully... Blown them all out of the water. Yeah. It really just do be, like, you know, Sarah Gamble was like, mm, yeah, no. And like, I pitched this idea, this was my fucking baby, and you give me this bullshit. It's interesting that you mentioned that Cass is the angel we've seen the most of. Because, actually, recently... I Now, disclaimer, I don't actually listen to Supernatural then and now. Just yeah. generally, if I'm going to listen to a podcast about Supernatural, typically I'll listen to one of the fan-run ones. But I did hear that apparently for their episode on Lazarus Rising, they had Misha on, which is the obvious choice. And Misha basically told them that the reason that he became a series regular is because he basically just called Kripke and was like, hey, so um, I want to be a series regular. <laughs> Fucking funny. Because who does that? Misha Collins really weaponized the power of politeness. Misha Collins. Like, what's, what's Eric Kripke going to say? No, you saved my TV show? Yeah. <laughs> how dare you? You know how people have, like, manifestation boards or whatever? Yeah. I swear to God, Misha Collins has tapped into some kind of fucking universal energy. And his manifestations actually manifest. And it's bizarre. The amount of shit that this man has been somehow tangentially or directly involved in. Or maybe he just made a demon deal with Crowley. Maybe. He 100% would use tongue. (laughs) Oh my god, yes. Okay, so crappie truthers rise up. Yeah. We do have the demon deal (laughs) between 
Bobby and Crowley this episode. The picture, hilarious. The entire mm. interaction, iconic. Important note, Mark Shepard does still have that image on his phone and he does whip it out at cons occasionally. If only Jackals would do that with the tapes. <laughs> Literally, okay, <laughs> yes. Do you know how fast the internet would explode if that happened? I also, okay, you made this comment while we were watching the episode and I'm not sure if the live reaction is going to make it in. So I'm going to get you to if read right now. If the live reaction does make it in, we'll pop it here. You said during the episode, no wonder Dean doesn't think Sam is a safe space. <laughs> I mean, he's awfully judgy when there's the potential that maybe, you know, Crowley and Bobby made out a little bit. It's the first thing he needs to know. Forget the fact that Bobby just sold his soul. Sam's mm. hyper-focused on, did you kiss him? Like, Which, that's the number one concern. This episode does confirm, though, mm-hmm. that Gisazel is real. Yes. Because there is no way in hell that a deal like that gets made without kissing. Like, mind you, like, I think Crowley does some of it for the bit. Like, oh, yeah. Just Crowley, because he's so funny. Crowley is committed to the bit. Mm-hmm. So jot that down. <laughs> but, like, you know, if Crowley couldn't make a deal without making out with Bobby a little bit, then Gisazel had to. Oh, yeah. Do we think Gisazel changed into a female vessel? (laughs) Do we think John slipped in the tongue? (laughs) And the worst thing is both of them are dead, so we'll never know. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. No, okay. I personally believe that Crowley chose to add the extra clause about Bobby's legs being healed based on the tongue. Like, he can have his legs back as a treat. Yeah. You know? I do want to know, though, because you said when Bobby lost his legs, that that's something that doesn't get reversed. It's now being reversed. Does it stay reversed? Or it does it... stay reversed. Okay. Yeah. That's I just right. wasn't going to tell you that, no. like, you That's know. right. I was like, is that going to be, or is this going to be the sort of thing of, like, you know, Crowley, quote unquote, dies or something, and, like, it reverts the demon deal and... The deal stays good. Okay. Crowley... Hence why I never saw anything about Bobby in a wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> Free... It's basically just this season. Yeah. It's supernatural. They can't have consequences remaining for like more than two weeks obviously (laughs) speaking on crowley Mm -hmm. i want to mention the fact this is the first episode we've had crowley in that wasn't written by ben edland though we do know for a fact that ben edland sarah gamble are on the same team in the writer's room also the crowley content in this episode the cast content in this Mm -hmm. episode stellar like as much as sarah gamble seems to not like cass god she gives him some good lines like how did you get here i took a bus Hilarious. Though I would pay actual money to see Misha Collins pretend to be Castiel on a bus. <laughs> oh boy, do I have some good news for you. <laughs> do we get cast bus content? We get cast bus content. Hey! I am not going to elaborate on that any more than that. But we do definitely get some cast bus content. But yes, so we have Cass being an absolute icon. We actually do get a lot of really fun lines from him this episode. I particularly enjoy him telling Dean that he is not the burnt and broken shell of a man he believed him to be. Followed by Dean being like, thank you. I appreciate that. And Cass being genuinely, you're welcome. (laughs) I love it. They really just make choices in this episode. Oh my God, they do. Sarah Gamble obviously is known for her choices. Mm -hmm. We, We really know this. We do. And it's really nice to sort of get confirmation that, yeah, no, she's not going to stop making those choices. Ashley... Do you know what we can add to the Sarah Gamble long con? Goo. 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 Mm-hmm. Goo is going to be pretty prominent in season seven. So look forward to that. Not green. She's a goo lover though. But she's she likes a good goo. It, it is so interesting now coming up to the end of Kripke era and being able to look at the 
two prominent people involved in this particular episode, looking at Sarah Gamble, looking mm-hmm. at Phil Scrazia, and being able to say, oh yes, this fits the pattern. Phil Scrazia is refusing to believe that the show's becoming lighter and more <laughs> colourful. He, he saw Changing Channels and he was like, ew, disgusting. No. Why would I want to do that? Before we get off uh, too far off from Cass, though, I want to mention that Pestilence basically looks him dead in the eye and he says, there's not a speck of angel left in you. And Cass does the whole, like, maybe just a speck kind mm-hmm. of thing. This is a really interesting, like, carry on from the last time we had someone, like, directly look at Cass and be like, you know, whatever, was, I want to say, in 99 Problems. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like, oh, I'm like a poor excuse for an angel mm-hmm. kind of thing, which was Julie Siege. Mm-hmm. So we're also seeing, like, a track pattern of Cass being either told that he is not an angel or that he is not good enough or him telling it of himself, mm-hmm. like, I am not you know, the being that I once was, he says in this episode to Bobby that he's useless comparatively, which is also interesting based on the end. Mm-hmm. Because like with that whole discussion with him and Dean where he says, thanks, but I used to belong to a much better club. And so it's interesting that that's kind of the narrative track we're following with Cass. I'd also seen bits about like him and Cass. So it's interesting that like this is kind of where it's coming in. And obviously I don't know if human cast like pops up again in later seasons, mm. but I'm assuming that this is not the sort of thing where it's going to be like, oh well, next week he's just an angel again, like we sort of expect him to be. Yeah, like it seems like it. They're framing it at least as something a bit more long term. You know how in Leverage there's like Nate and he's like, am I a thief or am mm. I like a stand up civilian or whatever? They do a similar arc with Cass where it's like, are you an angel? Are you a human? Are you something? Like, what are you basically? Are you something else? To the point where in some later seasons, we have characters literally asking him, like, what are you? So this is interesting that this is kind of the start of that arc for him, because clearly this is something that is going to be sort of his internal struggle, I suppose, as a character. Like, this is the path they've chosen to go down for him. And it's just, I'm just bringing it up now because I think this is the first episode where it's very clear. Like, obviously, we've had him rebelling against heaven and stuff, but this is a different step. Yeah. This is being like, oh, this is Cass removed from well i mean i think the key thing is that he kind of accidentally banished himself well not accidentally he purposefully banished intentionally like so it's just sort of the follow-on for that of like oh well when you banish Banish your fucking self what are the implications of that yeah and it's interesting that they went the implications of that are you're still like trapped in the vessel but now you don't have any of your normal sort of i think grace is normally how they refer to their power like their angelic power angel mojo he doesn't seem to have any like grace but he's still there trapped in the vessel castiel's consciousness as an angel still exists within jimmy's vessel Mm -hmm. but his tie to heaven like his powers are very much depleted like i'm gonna just say here for the record considering this is the second to last episode of what was meant to be the final season of Supernatural. I think it's kind of forgettable. Like, that might be a spicy hot take. No, I agree. I feel like this episode should have been, like, massive and impactful. And, like, don't get me wrong, I think there are some iconic moments here. Like, don't get me wrong, every time I think you've got, like, Crowley or Castiel on screen... Easily the best parts of the episode. So iconic. Mm -hmm. But the plotline is so fucking forgettable. I know. Like, just so... Like, this is why I think that Pestilence is my least favourite horseman. Because... Of the four, right, mm-hmm. I, we'll talk about death in a, in a moment. Because yeah. I also... I do... think death is different, though. Yes. So of the of the three horsemen excluding death, right, mm-hmm. so we had war. And while I don't particularly love the episode with war, like, I don't go back to it that much, it's still, I think, an interesting commentary on the way he is able to manipulate everyone and, like, mm-hmm. turn them against each other so quickly. It's 
for me, kind of like a mid-episode. Like, it's mm-hmm. fine. But I think that you can have a really interesting discussion about the, like, politics of it all. Mm-hmm. Then I think that Famine, like, I think that that episode is really strong. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of fun things in there. There's, a, it, like, there's a lot of lore stuff in there. You've got the interesting discussions you can have about the different ways that Famine impacts Cass versus Sam versus Dean. You know, yep. you've got the Cupid. You've got all of this mm. stuff. Like, that episode is so solid. And then you have this episode. And, like, honestly, I think Pestilence was more threatening in, like, the last three minutes. Of last episode. He feels really shoehorned into this episode. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, we have to deal with Pestilence. And we've run out of time. So instead of of giving him his own episode like we have every other horseman, Mm -hmm. we're going to jam him into the same episode as Death. But the issue for Pestilence is Death feels different than the others, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, Death feels different to the others because he's the only one... Who makes a deal? He's the only one who the solution is not we're going to cut your finger off by force to get the ring. You know what I mean? Like, he is the only one where it's not, like, he wants this. Yeah. He's the only one who doesn't seem to be gleefully following Lucy. Yeah, and I think that the thing about death, and this is something that we've talked about with Reapers before in general, Mm -hmm. is that they are not an inherently evil or bad thing, but they're also not an inherently good thing. They are just nature taking its course and like death just wants to keep that cosmic balance Mm -hmm. he doesn't want to be killing all of these people just because lucifer told him to because that's not his that's not purpose yeah exactly he is kind of above it all like Mm -hmm. even in this episode he said that he and god don't remember which one of them is older and in the end i will reap god too like that's that is just the way the universe goes and Actually, very quickly, I want to shout out the actor who portrays Death. Mm-hmm. His name is Julian Richings. I think he's phenomenal. I think that his performance is incredible. He is my favourite horseman mm-hmm. by a significant margin, and I agree with you. I think Pestilence is unfortunately relatively forgettable. Mm-hmm. I think, honestly, it would have made so much more sense for them to just have him at the very end of last mm-hmm. week's episode or something. Like, they spread him out over three fucking episodes. Mm-hmm. And then put death in 10 minutes. They spread him out over three episodes for him to get killed within two minutes. I know. The problem is that, like you said, they gave us two horsemen over 20 episodes and then Mm -hmm. gave us the last two in the last two episodes. It's such a silly ratio. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. I also just think that Pestilence was not that memorable comparatively, which is really annoying because the last two episodes that we've had him in, like... The references and stuff kind of slapped. Mm-hmm. And all of last week's episode was a banger. And mm-hmm. then this week is like, meh. All right. Like, it's fine. Maybe part of it is that, like, this is the calm before the storm, mm-hmm. as it were. Like, this episode is way lower in intensity. The thing is, though, it feels like it should be ramping up. Yeah. I think it's the same issue that, like, Supernatural's, in my opinion, that all five seasons so far of Supernatural have had. Which is the pacing of the seasons is just weird. Mm. Like they don't seem to have worked out what the best sort of pacing of the season is in terms of like overarching plot and like, you know, plot threads being woven in and not just kind of like, oh, fuck, we've hit the end of the season. We need to deal with this bullshit. The other thing is there's several episodes in this season that you could very easily swap out for the Pestilence episode. So they have three rings and then they have to go after death. Yeah. Which because they had to raise death it would make sense that death would be the final one the hardest one to find 
you know, like you could switch it out for a soap, like swap meat. Swap meat's fucking unnecessary. <laughs> you don't need swap meat. You don't fucking need the real Ghostbusters. You don't need the Curious Case of Dean Winchester. Like these are fun episodes are- in and of themselves, mm-hmm. but they're not so plot significant that you couldn't remove them and put the important aspects in another episode. I think that the thing with Pestilence is like, you can see now, like we had the end Mm -hmm. of like the episode, the end at the beginning of this season. Mm -hmm. And you can see now how the end, like the plot of the end could come from this point. And Mm -hmm. I think that they had to put Pestilence right up at the tippy top end of the season because of that sort of thing. Like it, the trajectory wouldn't have made sense if we'd had Pestilence trying to introduce Krobotowin way earlier and we saw that fail, then you would know that that wasn't going to come to pass. Also, like you said, the pacing of the season is Mm. weird. I think the pacing of this episode in particular Mm. is weird. And like Sarah Gamble is usually like, we normally watch her episodes and like, yeah, we've got the joke of the Sarah Gamble long con, but typically like her episodes are ones that we enjoy overall you know she's got some she's got some flops whether they're good (laughs) or bad they're normally interesting yeah exactly like we can usually have a really interesting discussion about them Mm -hmm. this episode kind of feels a bit lackluster there seems to be a lot of time that's just kind of spent with no dialogue and not that you need dialogue but also the dialogueless scenes aren't really doing anything to forward much Mm -hmm. like that whole sequence of bobby and sam in the The warehouse. warehouse You could have halved the time we spent on that and you still could have got the point across that Sam was rescuing civilians. And also, where the fuck is Cass in that entire time? Like, Mm -hmm. he rocks up at the last second, shoots one fucking Croatoan-infected person Mm -hmm. in the head, and that's it. But what was he doing? Because he literally was just, what, standing outside by the truck that whole time? Mm -hmm. And theoretically, he could have been attacking things outside. But, like, we don't know that. And we don't see it. And he doesn't look like he's been attacking anything outside. Yeah. But what I do want to talk about in that scene is they're just like, oh, no, they're they're infected, they're not. They're, like, making these split-second decisions about who's infected and who's not. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the key thing about the Croatoan virus is it had, like, that really long... At least when we saw it in... Um, is it literally Croatoan or is it... Um, what's in, it? Yeah, Croatoan. This episode yeah. season two. I think it's, like, 209 or something. 209 or something. When we see Croatoan... The whole thing is they're trying to kill the people before they show symptoms mm-hmm. because there is the incubation period, the incubation period of several hours where you can't tell if somebody's infected with the croatoan virus or not. So yeah. they're making these split second decisions of these people are infected, these people aren't. They could be infected. <laughs> you don't fucking know that. I think the thing with this is that it's because it's like the concentrated because they say, you know, in this episode, like, they get the box of the vaccine. And mm-hmm. I assume the implication is that they've manually infected all of these people mm-hmm. with the vaccine. And, like, because it's produced by pestilence, like, it's mm-hmm. just a more rapid, like, yeah. impact. The question I have, and this actually, oh, this is my guess for your PSA. Ooh, what do you think my PSA is this week about? I think that it could be about cold chains and their importance in health and safety regulations. because. Not every medication needs to be refrigerated, but most vaccines do. And looking in this warehouse, it just doesn't seem like any of that's refrigerated to me. It doesn't seem like the trucks that they're loading into are refrigerated. This just seems like a very obvious break in the cold chain. And that is a massive safety concern. And obviously this is not your typical vaccine, but... That's my PSA guess. If we're looking at like real world scenarios, cold chains are important and we regulate them for a reason. 
You're completely wrong. Okay, fun. What's your PSA? (laughs) My PSA this week is, this is an outlier. Vaccines are normally fully tested and safe. Please trust your vaccines. Yes. They're not secretly trying to kill you with Croatoan virus. Like, yeah, we promise there's no microchips in them. Yeah, like any <laughs> scaremongering of Like for a vaccine to be approved for general distribution and use in the real world, obviously not supernatural land, but yes. in the real world, they are extensively tested. Yeah, just like any other medication. Mm-hmm. Like they're not just going to give it out willy-nilly. Like no. there are processes involved for a fucking reason. Yes. Speaking of health concerns, okay, maybe yeah. this is a fun segue. It's a segue. Mm-hmm. It's not one I thought we'd use, but here we go. Yeah. We get from Cass this episode that Nick, Lucifer's vessel, is currently, quote unquote, chugging demon blood to, quote unquote, stop the vessel from exploding. <laughs> so, Cass tells Sam this episode that if he is planning on hosting Lucifer, he will in fact need to start drinking demon blood again. Do we have any thoughts? I just want to say, like, this feels awfully familiar to something that I guessed Seasons ago. A lot of this is feeling awfully familiar to things you've guessed. (laughs) I feel like that was one of my really, really early... Like, when it was, like, becoming apparent they were meant to be vessels. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why I was like, oh, the demon blood thing is necessary... Yes. ...to make the vessel strong enough for Lucifer. Uh Uh-huh, this is definitely something you talked about. And then I segued us into a bullshit discussion about whether or not the tainting of the demon blood would actually make him less suitable for a vessel. Because I was like... Jamie, this is too close. And I was fully thinking about this, and I was like, I've gotta, I've gotta dissuade her somehow. This is way too early to be talking about this. I want to say that's really means me, not just that you're gaslighting <laughs> me, but also that you're actively trying to, like, you know what I mean? Like, you're actively... Discouraging the conversation. Yeah. Here's the thing. I just wanted to provide an alternative because I didn't want to come into it and be like, oh yeah, that's a really good point. That's really interesting. You're so right. Mm-hmm. Because you were and I needed you to not be yet. I do promise though. And oh God, I am really looking forward to getting into seasons where we have one season long plot and I don't have to continuously gaslight you for seasons at a time. I'm really oh, looking, forward, looking to that. forward to that. Yes, Jamie, because it's fucking hard. <laughs> DMs I get about how people are like, Bethany, how the fuck did you not react to that thing that Jamie just said, I'm going insane. And I'm like, you're so right. My struggle is real. Though, I will say in this this week's episode, it's not the thing that you'd think that I'd be happy to be victorious about being correct. Mm. But we get the line from Castiel about how he's got a bug bite and it itches and it's driving him insane. Uh And I literally wrote a fic where he's getting tortured. Uh And there's a scene where he gets burnt because he's getting tortured and he has a blister and he's like this is so itchy it's driving me insane Mm -hmm. it's torturous it's worse than the actual torture yeah it is (laughs) so vindicating to me that my characterization of castiel in that fic was on point enough that i actually fucking accidentally predicted not kj and i baitering that fic going wow jamie what an interesting take I am very fucking proud of myself for that like Mm. that is not even something that i thought i could be psychic about And yet, here we are. (laughs) Here we are. The bad timeline. (laughs) If you are interested in reading Jamie's fic, I would highly recommend it. This one in particular is very angsty, but in like, you know, it hurts so good kind of way. It's a Destiel fic. You can find it on her AO3. We will pop a link in the description. So it's a wild time for me. Mm. Yet another psychic Jamie moment Mm -hmm. in this episode. Adam, who is being used as the Michael vessel. Uh 
How are we feeling about that? I'm feeling... <laughs> Here's the thing. I keep on saying things, right? And I'm like, oh, this is a prediction. Ha, 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 ha. This is the most dumb thing they can fucking do. And then they're like, mm, you know that thing that you said was really dumb? <laughs> Oopsie doopsies, we did that. Here's the thing. And I think this is one of the most enjoyable things for me about your predictions over these last few seasons is that you keep making these jokes because you're like, oh, I can see that this is a direction they could go. I just think it's silly. And then that's how you base your opinions and your predictions. And then I have to sit there and the audience listens and goes, fuck. <laughs> because like, the thing is, like you said from the first episode with Adam and then from 513 where we get the flashback mm-hmm. and they confirm that John's bloodline's significant. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, again with KJ in the point of no return, like we have talked about the fact mm-hmm. that Adam is significant and Adam is a potential vessel. It's just not the ideal one. And like, they have clearly been setting it up. And this is one of the only plot points that has actually been, I think, relatively well spaced out. Oh yeah, no, like... Like, it's actually one of the only things where we can point at it as like an important plot point for the final episode Mm -hmm. that has actually been consistently well outlined and spaced out and like they put foreshadowing in and you can work Mm. it out and it does make logical sense like it's very clear yeah you know and you might miss it Mm. like if you're just casually watching it and you're not talking about it for hours at a Mm. time you know and haven't based your entire weekend around a podcast you might not pick up on it but the fact that you can if you are analyzing it to that length and be like oh this is a relatively logical like conclusion for me to draw this is the prediction i'm making it's very fun to yeah. be able to see your, like, mind whirring in real time mm-hmm. and, like, being like, oh, this is a silly joke, but actually I can see the logic jumps. Yeah, like, and I was correct, so. Yes. I mean, and, like, Jamie, I feel, you're really wrong. <laughs> I feel like after last week, though, and the way they ended it, it's the last week that they end with the fucking blinding light and Adam stuck in the same room, or is that the episode before? That was the episode before. Okay. So last week's episode was the one where Crowley was in most of it and we mm-hmm. had the demon named Brady. I feel like after that episode, which you've just informed me is not last episode, but the episode before, where you get the end scene where, you know, Adam is encapsulated by light and stuck in the same room as Michael because Dean has fully summoned him Mm. or gotten Zacky Boy to summon him before Zacky Boy got smited. Mm -hmm. Smart? Smote? Smote, I think. Smote. Okay. (laughs) I'm not 100% sure on the terminology. Michael Zacky Boy Smart is very different thing. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like after, after the way that episode ended, it's like... There are two options with the way that scene ends. One, Michael kills Adam. Two, Michael possesses Adam. They're the two options. Yeah. Like, it's not really a third where Michael goes, oh, hey, bro, you're not who I expected to see here. Whoops, guess that was a mistake. See you later. Guess what? You're the Ill- illegitimate half-brother of the dude that I actually care about, <laughs> so you can just go. Yeah, no. It's not like Michael is going to do what Zachariah did in that start of that episode where he sits there and, like, commiserates with the human mm-hmm. about his struggles. No. You know? Like, no. Though I think that would be fucking hilarious. <laughs> Adam and Michael just sitting there being, like... Just besties now. Being like, oh, fuck it. Do you know how annoying these Winchesters are? And Adam's like, yes. Why does everyone like them? And Michael's like, I know. You know, they're sitting there and, and Michael's like, I fucking thought Zach could do this shit for me. Guess I have to do it myself. You want something done right. Right, you got to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he possesses Adam, clearly. Yeah, obviously, yeah, because mm-hmm. he wanted it done right. So yeah. he, had to he, do needs, it he needs a vessel. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. One thing that I do want to talk about with this episode is Sam. Mm-hmm. Now, we've talked a lot about how Carver doesn't like Sam, mm-hmm. but 
Last week's episode, we had Ben Edlund having Crowley calling out Sam on his anger management issues and like all this stuff, like, and even Bobby specifically mm-hmm. being like, he isn't, you know, you're not exactly Mr. Anger Management. Mm-hmm. And like, we've really highlighted Sam's anger issues in these last few episodes. And this one is no different. So we have Sam this episode actually saying to Dean that I'm the least of any of you, which is just like, Sam, like, babe, you all bring something significant to the table. Like, and we make fun of Sam for being kind of dumb. Only one of them has been conned by a demon, though. Well, I mean, you could almost count Bobby here. But Bobby went into that knowing the risks. Bobby was tricked by Crowley, but he wasn't conned by Crowley. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, Bobby was like, okay, yeah, no, it's not great. But also, from what we can tell, Crowley does fully intend on returning the soul soul. as soon as he no longer needs it for leverage. Yeah. So, like, he wasn't fully conned. Yeah. I love that... Crowley, like, fully has Bobby's soul, but, like, as collateral. Yeah. Because the thing is, right, Crowley actually gave Bobby a better deal than Crowley made. And so, yeah, the and it's a bit iffy. But, mm. no, I feel bad for Sam because, like... Oh, my God. It's because Crowley's in love with Dean and he's trying to impress him. Do you know what is so funny in this? I know I said we were going to talk about Sam. We'll come back to that. <laughs> See, you say that and it sounds like Eliza <laughs> leaves your lips. <laughs> No, we will come back because I want to talk about Sam this episode. It's very important we talk about his feelings because they won't talk about it themselves. But I swear to God, this episode, Crowley asks Dean on a date. Uh-huh. 30 seconds later, Dean's calling him cute. Like, what is happening? The gays are out this episode. Mm. Like, Cass is out here being very gay. Crowley's out here being very gay. Mm. Dean's out here being stuck in the middle of the both of them. Mm. Being gay in every which direction. Mm. Even Bobby dips his toe in the gay pool this week. He dips his tongue in the gay pool this week. (laughs) Which is almost better. Yeah, and there's Sam. Sam is, like, the gays are out and Sam is there. (laughs) But, like, do we genuinely think that, like, Crowley's trying to impress Dean? Literally, Crowley is floating so hard this episode. Mm -hmm. He's like, you two are lucky you have your looks. I'm like, queer icon. Like, okay. And then... He's out there, they're looking for death, and Crowley's like literally like, hey, we should stop and get some pizza. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, kind He's of He's literally thing. asking Dean on He's a date. He's literally asking Dean mm-hmm. on a date. And then like 30 seconds later, like a couple minutes later, Dean's like, want to cut the cute? I'm like, Dean, are you calling Crowley cute? And like, I understand it's a, a mm-hmm. phrase or like whatever the fuck, but also you could have said anything. Yeah. You didn't have to mm-hmm. use that particular phrase. That terminology was not necessary. Right? That was a choice. <laughs> literally. And I'm like, this is so queer like we started the episode like we ended last week's episode with the cliffhanger of are they gonna kiss right we started this week's episode with yeah they did kiss and there's photographic proof and then we just moved straight on into like compliments and dates and whatever the fuck it's bizarre how queer this became so quickly mm-hmm Oh, and also, Dean and Crowley keep having conversations where Dean is inside the car and Crowley is outside the car having some kind of silly little adventure. And they're, like, communicating through the glass, kind of like Catherine Mm -hmm. Tate and David Tennant. And it's a delight. I also just want to point out, though, a lot of Crowley's behavior this episode is awfully reminiscent of Cass. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, the whole, like, zipping in and out of the car thing. Yeah. It's, like, pulled straight from the Cass playbook. It is. I, I feel like Crowley is trying to, like, be like, oh, well, you like Cass, so here, I'm acting like Cass, like me. Crowley is actively sliding into Dean's DMs. Yeah. And I think it's so funny. <laughs> and Dean has no idea. Dean has... But Cass is fully aware. Yeah. <laughs> this dynamic of the three of them is only going to get more aggressive as the series goes on. 
Later on, we also have a very similar thing happening in season eight, which is like also Cass and Dean and like a third party. Mm -hmm. And it's the same kind of like Cass and the third party fucking hate each other. And Dean is like, guys, just come on. (laughs) What I find so funny though, is it seems to be all of the incredibly powerful supernatural beings are like, yeah, we're going to hit on Dean. Yeah. No one's hitting on Sam. No one's hitting on Sam. The only people that are hitting on Sam are like Meg and Ruby. Who are both doing it specifically for their own ends. Yeah. It's insane. Actually, I have a note. And let's let's go back to Sam maybe for a minute. I do feel bad for Sam. Because he has such... Like, at this point, right? He has such a low opinion of himself. And, like, don't get me wrong. All of them have low opinions of themselves. It's abundantly clear. Except Crowley. Crowley knows his worth. Crowley knows how good he is. Mm-hmm. You know? And he is living his truth. However, Sam's lack of self-worth this episode... Sam's lack of self-worth is rarely highlighted other outside of him calling himself a freak. Mm-hmm. Like, we get a lot of that, you know, cropping up again and again and again throughout the show. But outside of that, we don't really usually have a lot of Sam being like, oh, I'm the weak link. Typically, it's him saying that he thinks that Dean is the weak link. You know, he's like, I'm stronger than my brother, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's the kind of sort of arrogant Sam attitude that we've come to know. And love. And love. (laughs) We love it for him. We love characters who make bad choices. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) in this episode... How else are they going to use him as a plot device? Exactly. (laughs) In this episode, he explicitly, you know, is saying, I know that I have these flaws. And actually fucking Bobby at the very end of the episode is like so fucking savage. He says, I'm not saying Sam ain't full of character defects, which is like, whoa. You're meant to be his adoptive dad, Whoa. dude. I feel like, you know how we, I mean, we keep talking about like Sarah Gamble, Longcom, blah, blah, blah. But like we said, Jeremy Carver or Sarah Gamble, they're on the same team. Jeremy mm. really said, look, if we're going to work together on this, <laughs> you've got to put some Sam slander in your fucking yeah. episodes. Like, like that's the trade-off. I'm already picking up the slap for this for you. Come on. Yeah. Hold up your end of the day. <laughs> Genuinely. I was like, holy shit. We really do have a highlight on the fact that, like, yeah, Sam has made some really poor decisions over the last five years. He has also been incredibly driven by his anger, by his arrogance. Like, we are highlighting all of Sam's most prominent character flaws. (laughs) And it's like, I feel bad for the kid. Because, yes, obviously he has made these terrible, terrible decisions. And we've made fun of him the whole time. (laughs) But also, like, Bobby is right. He has a lot of shit going on, but he has a lot of good as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, Sam is more focused on the ends than the means in reaching them, you know? Yes, Sam is driven primarily throughout the seasons by arrogance or anger, but ultimately he is trying to achieve a good thing. He's just bad at it. Yeah. Unfortunately, his desire for good blinds him to the reality of the bad he's doing. Yeah, which is honestly kind of John-coded. You know, like, we've talked about the John coding of Sam as well this whole time. And, yeah, I personally think Sam is the least uh, sympathetic character. Yeah, I think, honestly, like, he he gets blinded really easily. Mm -hmm. Like, he really struggles to actually understand the implications and the consequences. Mm -hmm. And he fails to understand that just because what you want to do is good doesn't negate the fact that what you're actually doing is bad. Yes, You're 100% correct. And this is something that we've talked about a lot as well. The way that he and Dean often differ is whether or not they believe that the ends justifies the means. Mm -hmm. 
especially even in this episode, right? We see it because Dean is trying to wrap his head around the fact that everyone around him seems to be saying, hey, the only way that we see a possibility of subverting the apocalypse right now is if Sam sacrifices himself. That's it. To the point where Death is like, promise me you'll let him. And Dean promises, and then he says later to Bobby, like, what do you think Death does to people who lie to his face, huh? You know? Whereas Sam is focusing on, well, the outcome is going to be that the apocalypse is subverted, so it doesn't really matter (laughs) if I, you know, have to sacrifice myself. And so you can really clearly see it there. Like, Dean is so focused on, okay, but Sam, and Sam is so focused on, okay, but the results of my actions. Mm -hmm. And also, like, I think one of the things about Sam is, like, we have talked so much about, like, how Sam has struggled with autonomy. Sam has struggled with being sort of pushed in certain directions by the narrative. Last episode really highlights, like, even having Brady there at Stanford, like, the one time that he theoretically had the most autonomy he'd ever had in his life, he was still being pushed by the demons and, you Mm -hmm. know, influenced and manipulated. And, like, this, as a choice for Sam as a character, makes a lot of sense. Like, he is like, okay... There is no good option, but I can choose to accept this burden. And like, I think that is also maybe a way that he sees that he is going to redeem himself because that is a huge thing for Sam as well. Like that concept of redemption and proving that he is better than everyone around him predicts he will be. I think the other thing is also he has been stripped of his autonomy by the demons mm-hmm. for so long that he sees, like, if he can reclaim his autonomy for one moment, yeah, it would have, like, that one moment of his own autonomy over his own body. Over his oppressors. And- over his oppressors will mean that all of the other pressure he's had on his autonomy will is negated. Yeah. It's like... It doesn't matter that I didn't have autonomy of my body then because the one moment where it mattered that I had autonomy over my body, I used it. Yeah. For me, like as much as like Dean, I personally don't want Sam to end up possessed by Lucifer and throwing himself into a quote unquote fiery pit. You know, I don't love that for Sam. I do like, it's almost like we've been talking about with some of the other character like deaths this season. We've talked about, you know, at least they got to choose Mm -hmm how they die like Pamela you know and Joe and Ellen like they had autonomy um even Karen Bobby's wife they had choice in their final moments over what was going to happen and how it was going to go Sam is lining up to a similar situation where he's like I have no control everything around me has been manipulated my entire life but yeah like you say if I can make it this one moment Mm -hmm. where I get to have control then that blasts everything else out of the water because it makes everything else they have done to me, like, wastes their entire last Who cares that they control me for so long because at the end of the day, I, I still... Them. Yeah. What I want to say, though, here is... So, obviously, we're going up to the end of the season. The idea is that Sam becomes the meat suit and then jumps into the hole. Let's say that's how the show ends. Sure. He, Sam becomes the meat suit. He jumps into the hole, uh-huh. right? If... Jeremy Carver had been the showrunner for season six and not Sarah Gamble. Do we think that he would have just left Sam in the hole and made it like the Dean and Cash show? Yes. But because it was Sarah Gamble who doesn't like Cass, she's like, I need a second main character. We can't leave Sam there. I've got to pull him out. Okay, I really am excited to get into Gamble era because I think that it's going to be very fun 
to look at which characters are present and how they're present and how their stories progress based on what we've found through Kripke era, mm-hmm. while none of these writers have actually been in control. Yeah. All of these writers are only pushing literally their narrative through the sporadic episodes they get and also through their like interlocked ties yeah. to each other. Their alliances. Once we see one of them move into Kripke's position and actually be in charge, it's really going to be interesting to see how their narrative gets spread out across all the mm-hmm. other writers' episodes, but also how those writers Under might writer. rebel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so excited to get into it. It's going to be but, very fun. Like, do you agree? Do you think it would have been, like, if, if it, like, obviously, oh, yeah. I don't know if that's how next episode ends or not, or what happens, but, like, if that is how they ended season five, thinking it was going to be, like, the finale of finales, if Jeremy Carver was like, yeah, Sam can stay in there for a bit. <laughs> It would be hilarious of him as a choice. (laughs) Okay. I also, very quickly, while we're sort of talking around the cage, Mm -hmm. the rings, I quite like the effect that they do to show Mm -hmm. them, like, interlocking together and stuff. I think that's quite fun. But I can't get over how much it just looks like a fidget spinner. Do you know what I mean? It does look like a fidget, especially the way it, like, spins and then, like... Yeah, right? And Dean's, like, just holding it. And I'm like, yeah, now you tap it and it goes, you know? (laughs) We actually get a fidget spinner, like, later in the series. Like, Sam canonically has a fidget spinner. It's really fun, but... Like, with four rings, there's only so many configurations you can do. Maybe Mm -hmm. the idea is that, you know, there's one in the centre, and that's, like, Death's ring, because it's, like... I think, actually, the one in the centre is War's, because War's ring was the only one that didn't have, like, a stone in it. His was, like, a wedding ring. Which is weird to me that, like, his would be... ...different to the others, because, for me, Death is the, the horseman who is... Different to the central one. I'm pretty sure he's the only one who's like, he's the oldest. He is the most neutral, like, you know, whereas pestilence, famine, and war all have. They have like an agenda. Whereas death's agenda is just kind of like cosmic balance of the universe. He's the avatar. (laughs) I assume that maybe the horsemen get some kind of power over the design of their rings because they all seem very specific to the individual like they're all designed you know it would make sense based on what war was doing in the episode he was introduced that it would just look like a regular wedding band because he was trying to imitate just a general person within the town kind of thing so that makes sense to me but whereas pestilence famine and death particularly famine and death they're not trying to blend in with shit so, like, they can have a statement piece of jewellery and it doesn't matter, you know? Like, no, it's not going to draw attention more Also, than I just doing... feel like they're, like, slightly more fruity than war. I, yeah. <laughs> While we're kind of back on pestilence and, mm-hmm. like, the horseman for a sec, I do want to take a quick moment because once Kripke wraps up, this era wraps up, we're really not going to hear that much more about, like, the special children, about, like, this, this plot line is essentially going to be wrapped up by yeah. the next episode. Like, obviously, they'll keep some threads open, but it's more like character mm. threads more yeah. than plot threads. I want to posit that potentially, you we've talked about Azazel and his demon science, you know, and like him applying yeah. for grants and things. I want to just posit a theory, a hypothesis, if you, if you will, yeah. that Pestilence was the one who was authorizing the grants and the experiments. It just seems on brand. (laughs) But to me, like, Pestilence seems like he's applying for his own grants. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe. But, like, also, potentially, Pestilence was just, like, that one biologist who was just, like, getting a little too excited about the superbugs and, like, kept applying to perform these studies and the ethics committee kept being, like, "Mm, Could be worse. Maybe redraft. (laughs) Mind you, this is the demon ethics committee. So they're like, oh, it's not cruel enough. Yo, good Try point. again. They're like, you know, you know, add another disease in there and then, yeah. you know, hit us up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, and before we get too far away from Sam as well, I want to just take a moment to point out that when Bobby, Cass, and Sam are in that warehouse, and Sam has just fucking taken out all of these Croatoan infected people, and he's saved these civilians, and then he's like lying on the ground getting literally choked to death. To Bobby's credit, he is trying to reload the gun to, Mm -hmm. you know, take the shot or whatever. Cass takes the shot and he has that iconic line of, oh, actually, these things can be useful. Mm -hmm. But no one checks on Sam. They They just leave him on the ground. (laughs) It's just another example of Sam literally fighting for his life and everyone around him being like, yeah, we've all been there. (laughs) Oh, I also love Bobby's note on, can we commit our act of domestic terrorism already? Love that for you, Bobby. I want to know, so at the start of the episode, right, we've, we've got Cass in hospital. Mm-hmm. And he has a line about how he showed up on a sailboat and scared the sailors. Yes, love that for him. How did he end up on a sailboat? Like, what? Obviously, you, if we do, you don't have to tell me <laughs> the reason. But do we get a reason why he's just randomly on a sailboat? No. Because they don't <laughs> start anywhere near the sea. I think that he literally is just like, oh, he got like blasted. Like whatever, ra- like, whatever radius away, mm-hmm. and that just happens to be where he landed. Honestly, it's lucky he landed on the boat, mm-hmm. because he could have just landed in the water unconscious, and mm-hmm. that could have been more of a problem. Mm-hmm. But yes, I'd find it hilarious that the concept of these sailors just, like, finding this half-naked man covered in blood and weird symbols, like, just unconscious on their boat. I love the fact that Cass is in a rush to get back to the Winchesters. Like, he takes a bus and everything. Yeah. At some point, he got himself a trench coat. So this is theoretically a different trench coat to the one that he's been wearing the entire time because he says he was half naked. So, like, presumably, he lost the trench coat. I think the half nakedness comes from the ripped open shirt. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's where I'm So then assuming. did the trench coat get washed? Do you know, I don't know. Maybe? The it- trench coat doesn't look like he's been in the sea. <laughs> I think. Probably what happened is like, yeah, he rips open the shirt, he blasts himself to oblivion, mm-hmm. and he wakes up on the boat. And then, oh, we actually do get Cass in different clothes this episode. Mm-hmm. We get him in the hospital smocky mm-hmm. thing, which is fun. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to have him have that discussion with Dean about like, you know, like he's, I'm just very, and then Dean fills in the blank of human. And I also like the touch where Dean like sits down on that note. Like it's like an O. Oh. And I want to point out, this is a big deal for Dean. Because of what he saw in the end. Cass is human. Mm -hmm. Most recently he's seen him go on a bender. Like Cass is abusing substances. Mm -hmm. And now he's human. And you know, Sam is considering saying yes to Lucifer. And the Croatoan is a threat. Like for Dean must be shitting himself right about now, you know? And while everyone else is saying, Sam saying yes, like is a possible plan. None of the rest of them were there. No. For the end. Dean has seen... A possible ending of Sam saying yes. Mm-hmm. Dean is like, I have seen this film before. I didn't like the ending. The real question is, is the cage physically located in Detroit? Well, or does it even have to be? Yeah. This is the thing. Like, I think I mentioned to you a couple of episodes ago. The cage can basically be anywhere. Sam technically, like, could say yes in Detroit, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's where the cage is going to be opening up. Well, I mean, I'm just assuming that if Sam's saying yes, betting on a single moment of willpower, like, he's saying yes as physically close to the cage as he possibly can. That's valid. Oh, we also get Dean immediately telling Cass, like, don't worry, Bobby will wire you the cash. And Bobby being like, oh, will I? Which is the writer who likes to make Castiel half naked. Oh, I think we said it was Carver. I feel like it's Carver. 
So do we think that if Carver wrote this episode, we would have gotten a behind shot of Mishri's <laughs> hospital room? Do we, do we think? Like, just theoretically. If Dean had been there in person and not over the phone, mm. there absolutely would have been a scene of Cass trying to get up and Dean, like, pointedly looking away and, like, putting his hand up being like, dude, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, there would yeah. have been that moment. One million percent. I also want to touch on a couple of other things that are, like, sort of callbacks in this episode to earlier seasons. So remember when demons were above their pay grade is something mm-hmm. that I wrote down because obviously Sam says, like, remember when we used to just hunt, like, Wendigos? Mm-hmm. And it made me think of the fact that in Phantom Traveler, which is the fourth episode of the series, mm-hmm. Dean is like, oh, demons, they're a bit above our pay grade. And I'm like, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> Give it a couple of years, babe. <laughs> what if I told you that five years from now, You'd be actively working with a demon who's trying to ask you on a date after he made out with Bobby a bit. Like, what if I told you? (laughs) I also want to touch on, I know we already talked about death, but I do want to talk about his introductory scene. Did you have any immediate thoughts? It's shot in a different style to the rest of the episode, which is a weird choice. I don't know if I necessarily like it. It feels very, like, out of nowhere. I adore it. Mm -hmm. I think that artistically it is such a beautiful sequence of shots the way that the scene is framed like as you see whatever that classic car is that death arrives in which is obviously white because like death on his white horse as he's pulling in it actually pulls past like a one-way street sign which i think is interesting because it's like oh we're all on that one-way path to death like inevitably like that's where we'll all end up i love the song they chose i love the slow motion i loved it even though the actual movement is in slow motion the camera is moving in quick cuts and like i love when the guy bumps into death and then we sort of have that moment where it goes back into like normal time and he's like oh like you know watch where you're going and death like just so casually brushes the shoulder and the guy fucking collapses like the drama of it all is beautiful but like you're right it is nothing like the rest of the episode it does stand out like a sore thumb but i kind of enjoy the way it stands out Because it is so memorable as a character entrance. We get a couple of very memorable character entrances. Cass's being one, Crowley's being another, but Death's. Death's entrance is like, I think it does such a good job to set up this character who is so above it all. You know, time slows down around him because he is just so different. He is just in control. He has this easygoing confidence I don't know, he has an energy and I feel like it's really well encapsulated in that opening scene. I'm really sad that the listeners at home can't see the crazed energy or the hand motions right now. You'll just have to imagine them. (laughs) Point is, I really love that scene. I love that it is such an artistic introduction. I think it's interesting that it's the only scene in the episode that doesn't feel like season one, basically. Every other scene in this episode you could put in season one and it wouldn't feel out of place. That's the only one where you'd be like, oh, this is... It's because it's a different artistic direction. Mm -hmm. Because so often Supernatural, especially the very early seasons, is supposed to be this like gritty, dark, whatever, that kind of like energy. This is like ethereal, but in a dark way. This is like the dark fae kind Mm -hmm. of vibe for me. You know, like it's immensely powerful and old and all-knowing. And just that confidence that comes from those character traits like it's just so pervasive and then you get the scene where dean goes to speak to him and like that whole conversation like death just saying 
to a thing like me, a thing like you, well, how would you feel if a bacteria sat at your table and started to get snarky? I invite you to contemplate how insignificant I find you. He's not even saying it in like a a way where he's like trying to be really demeaning. He's just like, dude, you're not that special. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, to you, this is the end of the world. To you, this is the most important thing that's ever going to happen. But to me, this is Tuesday. Three million people will die. What of it? The insignificance in the grand scheme of the universe. And like, it is really difficult for us as people to imagine the grand, like to wrap our minds around the enormity of the infinite universe. And so I think they've done a really, really good job of showing that death is so much more than the immediate scenario that the boys are facing. Like, because yeah, they've worked this whole season and last couple of seasons actually up to like the apocalypse is the be all and end all. And it is the most important, most dramatic, hugest Mm -hmm. issue that is going on. And death just comes into the scene and he's like, this is how, like, I don't care. Like, bigger shit, bigger fish to fry. I will maintain balance and I don't really give a shit about how that is or what that is. Like, balance is balance and I will maintain it. What I think is so funny, though, is obviously, like, this is the apocalypse. And death doesn't really give a shit about the apocalypse. From what I can tell of Supernatural, by the end of the 15 seasons, the apocalypse is, like, fucking nothing. (laughs) They deal with an apocalypse once a year genuinely like every season is a different sort of apocalypse Mm -hmm. so by the end of it they're like we've done this shit like 10 times by the end of it it's literally like sam and dean are kind of in death's position where they're like oh okay i guess we have to save the world again like Like, jesus fucking christ but it's interesting because like i think the other horsemen show this like kind of glee Mm -hmm. in enacting out their purpose like pestilence enjoys spreading disease and causing pain like famine enjoys seeing the carnage that he wrecks around him. War obviously was having fun manipulating everyone mm. and causing that sort of unrest. Death is just kind of like, I am inevitable. I will come for these people eventually, regardless. It doesn't really matter if I take them now or in a year or in 30 years or in 50 years. Inevitably, I will take them at some point. And so he kind of has the luxury of not being in a rush to accomplish anything Because it doesn't really matter what anyone does. No one can truly escape him. He just has to be patient enough. And I think that him being so old and having that, like Bobby says in this episode, that bird's eye view really allows him to be the kind of imposing character that he is without even trying. Do we think that he's just kind of sick of like reaping the Winchesters only for the angels and that to bring them fucking back? Honestly, he literally says in this episode, like, you can't cheat death. And I'm like, you want to fucking bet, bro? (laughs) Both these boys have been dead so far. Like, multiple times. Yeah. Anyway, to wrap up on this discussion, he also is talking about Lucifer and he said, he made me his weapon. I'm more powerful than you can process and I'm enslaved to a bratty child having a tantrum. And I think that that is just like another way that they're showing, like, this literally is so insignificant. Like, it feels like a huge deal to Sam, Dean, Bobby, Cass, because this is their whole universe. But to death, death is overseeing such a vast, Mm -hmm. like the whole of space and time. For him, this is so insignificant, you know? And it it really puts it into this like interesting perspective shift of we've built this up to be the most important thing that's ever going to happen. But ultimately in the grand scheme of the universe, this is one tiny aspect of a much larger story. This is one world. Yeah. There are infinite others out there. Mm-hmm. 
One thing I do have a question about mm-hmm. that scene that has always fascinated me, and this is just a we're not from America thing. Mm-hmm. Deep dish pizza. I don't really understand it. It seems like soup in a pie. Like, it seems like a pie without a top more than anything. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why Dean likes that pizza more than normal pizza. But I don't think he does. Like, Death yeah. makes the point that he likes the deep dish pizza. Mm-hmm. Death and fast food. Yeah. He loves it. This mm-hmm. becomes an ongoing thing. It's wild. But, like... I just, I don't know. Do we have any deep dish pizza lovers out there in the audience? If you do, pitch it to me because I do, it doesn't really... Maybe we should make it one week. Ooh, that could be fun. I don't really understand the appeal of deep dish pizza. Like, And honestly, to be fair, I've never tried it. But it does just kind of look like a pie with a tomato base and cheese and no mm-hmm. top. But regardless of opinions on pizza, we do have to have our obligatory pointing out of Dean mm-hmm. and food. This is one of the first times Dean seems actually hesitant to take a food yeah. that someone has offered What's him. What's so funny, though, is you can parallel this scene directly against the Ruby Diner Fries scene. <laughs> I've do, done it. I've cracked the code. <laughs> I do find it interesting that he, like, takes such a cautious little bite and then you can kind of see, like, Death's like, it's good, isn't it? And he does, like, the eyebrow raise, like, yeah, it is good. <laughs> he just doesn't want to, like say it Mm. because like he is in way over his head Mm -hmm. in this moment and i think he recognizes that he's like teetering on the edge like he can't afford to fuck this up yeah they really were just like we're gonna make every centuries old primordial being like just a little bit obsessed with dean you're so right there is a Dean specifically like demon seems to be obsessed with sam but like you know michael's obsessed with dean god's obsessed with dean castiel's obsessed with dean Death's, like, a little bit obsessed with Dean. Like, you can't tell me that if Death wanted to bargain with Sam and not Dean, he would have bargained with Sam and not Dean. So, like, he chose Dean. Oh, like, yeah. Like, Crowley's obsessed with Dean. That one Reaper, Tessa's obsessed with Dean. Zach was obsessed with Dean. The list goes on. I literally reblogged a post on our Tumblr blog recently. It's by Queer Studies Natural, which, incredible URL, by the way. But... The post is, Dean is like, I am so unlovable, but my guy, you are literally the most lovable guy in the universe. God fucking fell in love with you. The king of hell, the first angel who met you. (laughs) It's just like, it goes through the list. It's just like, against all odds, they all fell for you. You call yourself unlovable? Honey, you are like a flame to the moths. You are so lovable. It frequently causes apocalypses. (laughs) Like, if anything, you're a little too lovable and it's a problem. And you're so right. Queer Studies Natural, you are right. (laughs) They're all just... Like, just a little bit obsessed with him. Yeah. Just, like, a little bit. Just a smidge. Mm. It's literally, like, I don't know. There's something about him. And they're Mm. all, like, wow. This dude. I'm gonna give up everything I stand for, for this man. And then Sam's just kind of standing there. Mm -hmm. Like, there's... (laughs) The Winchester effect only works because of Dean. Sam makes a strong habit of, like not getting along with anyone who's in love with Dean. The exception being Cass, but, like, even there, there's some tension. <laughs> it's wild. Anyway, there's, uh, yes, there's a lot of people falling in love with Dean, and it's it's wild. Oh, also, Dean being a hypocrite this episode, he literally says to Sam, like, you're not saying yes to Lucifer, end of discussion, his phone rings, and then he says, this isn't over. And I'm like, well, pick one. Either it's over Babe, or it's not. You gotta pick one of the two options. It's either over or it's not. Yeah. The last point that I want to touch on is at the very end of the episode, Bobby and Dean are chatting over beer and Bobby is saying to Dean, you know, what are you scared of, right? Except he has just said 
that there's a strong possibility of Sam dying. And then he goes, what are you scared of? Losing your brother? And I'm like, damn, Bobby, what the fuck do you think? What do you think? Remember season two, Bobby? You were there. (laughs) You were there when Dean fucking would not leave Sam's dead corpse. You were there when he was going to make that fucking deal. Like, what do you think he's scared of, babe? What has he historically been scared of? Oh, God. Well, actually. (laughs) God. What was the canonical turning point of Dean and John's relationship? Mm. I don't know. Was it maybe John suggesting that Dean should kill Sam? Sam? What is that foundational core of his character? Oh, is it protecting Sam at all costs? Nah. That's just the thing his drama's about. Uh, anyway, Bobby being a bit of a dumb fuck for a minute mm. there. But look, we'll, we'll let him get away with it because we do love him and he's an icon. And he's still getting used to walking again. Oh, the thing about him walking up and downstairs all night for like no reason and him being all giggly that his legs are sore is honestly so cute. I love it for him. I love that this canonically makes Crowley more powerful than Zachariah. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Like, his cats couldn't even heal. Mm. It raises an interesting point about what is more powerful, like the angels flat out or the possibility of demon deals. But unless you have any other points. No, that was everything that I wanted to take for today. I think that brings us to the end of today's episode. So, Jamie, how would you rate 521, two minutes to midnight out of five? I'm just going to preface this with saying that I think the episode itself deserves a three. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. we had so much Kaz and Crowley content. I know. So much. So I I'm going to bump it up to three and a half. Okay, valid. Because every moment there on my screen being queer, iconic. Honestly, this episode, like... As a whole, really underwhelming. Yeah, which but, is honestly such a bummer coming into the finale. And what was meant to be the finale? T-H-E, all capitals. I mean, to be fair, at this point, I'm going to suggest that they probably definitely knew they were going to get a season six. But regardless, like, even if this isn't supposed to be the finale of the series, Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be the finale of this plotline, which Mm -hmm. we've been building to for five years now. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it should have been really significant. And, like, the last three episodes have been really significant, every single one. And then this one just feels like a weird lull. Mm. right at the last second and you're right it feels like they're shoehorning things in mm-hmm. just for the sake of oh we shit like we didn't plan Fuck, for we this. forgot about this one yeah like oh shit we just didn't pre-plan mm-hmm. anywho the next episode is the finale of season five the finale of kripke era for fun we are actually going to have a bonus episode between now and then where jamie and noah from saving people queering things who has also never seen supernatural in its entirety before are going to have a little predictions session. So they're going to get to chat about anything that they think could happen with the next episode and all these bits and pieces. So we've managed to time it so that we're perfectly at the same point. Yes, a lot of time zone math has gone into this plan. So I hope you're all looking forward to that. And for that reason, Jamie, I suppose you don't necessarily have to give us all of your predictions for the finale, but if you maybe want to give us a summary, like I'm, how you're feeling going in. I'm thinking, looking at what they did in this episode, I'm going to double down on some of my theories. Okay. So I, I definitely think that, you know, the Sam gets possessed and jumps into the cage is going to be what happens because okay. it just seems like at this point, that's the only plan they've got. Mm-hmm. So it, it, they're really going to be pulling shit out of their ass if it's something new. Something new. I think it's going to have to work because the whole idea is that the apocalypse doesn't happen. There's another 10 seasons of this fucking bullshit. Yeah. 
I don't know. Like I was, I was feeling like maybe Dean was going to have to say yes to Michael mm-hmm. at some point. But like now that Michael's an Adam, maybe like they maybe they've circumvented that. So maybe we're not gonna see like Dean Michael. Really fucking funny if we see Michael in like every vessel except for the one that's actually meant to be his <laughs> vessel. I think I'm gonna double down. I think Dean's gonna get that utopia, and I think the reason why he can't get Sam in that utopia is because Sam's in the cage. Okay. Any other thoughts or do we want to leave it there and then cover the rest with Noah? I think cover the rest with Noah. I think that sums up basically what I think next episode is going to be. Mm-hmm. They're going after Lucy. There's not much else for them to do in the last episode mm-hmm. if we're being totally honest. No, I reckon it's a filler episode. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're just going to go to some random fucking backwoods mm-hmm. town and yeah. like mm-hmm. hunt a ghost. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> if you know, you know. But No, I don't think it's a ghost. I think it's some vampires. mm so funny you say that. Yeah, I think maybe we might even get a vampire that we've seen before. Oh my god, what a prediction. Yeah. Damn, for a finale too, yeah. like a filler mm-hmm. episode mm-hmm. with a vampire yeah. we've seen before. Like, and I know damn. they've really teed it up so that Sam's going to like, you know, be imprisoned in a cage or like dead effectively. <laughs> but I think it would be really fun if Dean died. Oh, really? Yeah. You think that would be so fun? Oh my god. I Oh my god. Just remember the joke that we forgot to put in here. <laughs> <laughs> This episode, they have the thing that's meant to kill them. Uh, Dean's uh, death scythe. Death scythe. And it looks like a piece of fucking rebar. (laughs) (laughs) The irony. Oh, supernatural dodgeball (laughs) meme. (laughs) How I hate thee. (laughs) Anyway, do we think Cass will be in next week's episode? I mean, I feel like it doesn't make sense if he's not. Okay. Like, you know, like they're going- So funny you say that. (laughs) They're going after Lucifer. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, I guess, like, he's human now, so, like, they could be like, oh, it's too dangerous. But, like, also, they're going to need all the help they can get. And also, to be fair, Bobby, Dean, and Sam have always been human. Well, Mm -hmm. Sam, debatable, but, you know, the three of them, theoretically. Always been human. At least partially human. And also, the other thing is, now that Cass is human, he can't do his no-pout thing like he normally does. You're so right. Okay. I think at some point that I said I was going to start asking about this and then promptly forgot, but I am going to throw it in here. Do we think Crowley's going to be in next week's episode? I feel like, yeah. I feel like... He is invested. It doesn't make sense for him to disappear now. Cool. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you so very much for listening. Hopefully you had as much fun listening as we have had recording. Very much looking forward to our bonus episode with Noah that's coming out soon. And also we're keen to have you back for the finale of Kripke Era next week. Also a quick reminder about our End of Kripke Era survey, which is still open for submissions. If you haven't already completed that one, we would super duper appreciate it if you did. We are looking for as much feedback as possible before we start going into Gamble Era. The link is in the description below. If you have two minutes to have a look at that and fill it out, we would really, really appreciate it. And if you wanted to get in touch with us outside of listening to us waffle on in your ear for an hour or so every week, you can always hit us up on any of our socials. All of the links are in the description below. And some possible topics for conversation could include... In what season of Supernatural is the gay hostility between Crowley and Castiel most obvious? Ooh, I have an answer for that. (laughs) I have an answer for that. Because I feel like they've set it up now. Like, there is no going back. (laughs) My argument falls in season 10. Okay. And everyone listening at home should know why. But that'll be fun for you to find out. Mm -hmm. The other thing I want to know is, we have asked a couple of times about people's favourite horsemen and things. We've had to keep all of the discussion in the spoiler chats because obviously Jamie hadn't met Pestilence or Death properly yet. Now that we've got all four of them, if you wanted to go ahead and share those opinions in the non-spoiler chats, please feel free because now Jamie can weigh in with her opinions too. 
Anyway, I think that just about does it for today's episode. So thank you so much for listening and we'll hopefully have you back next week. Bye. Bye.